Race matters. 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 Before we continue, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, whose land we are broadcasting from, as we have the privilege to do every single week. The Gadigal people have been here for over 60,000 years before us and will be here long after us. I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and I'd also like to acknowledge and honour the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities, and as the birthplace of black theatre in this country. This is, was, and always will be Aboriginal land. You're tuned in to Race Matters on FBI Radio. My name is Tanya Ali. History has failed us, but no matter, is the now iconic opening sentence of Pachinko, a novel which saw translation into 29 languages, inclusion on 75 best book of 2017 lists, and in May this year, a book that was recommended by none other than Barack Obama on social media, who described it as captivating. And look, Obama's right. Pachinko is a super captivating read. It's an epic work of historical fiction that follows four generations of a Korean family living in Japan, delving into the complexities of diaspora, class, exile, and home. Today on Race Matters, we're so excited to be joined by the author of Pachinko, Min Jin Lee. It's safe to say I'm a little starstruck. The first time I actually came across Min was last year at the opening address of Sydney Writers' Festival. And I remember being absolutely blown away by her talk, which started out critiquing tall poppy syndrome and ended by quoting the lyrics of Diamonds by Rihanna. There was literally not a dry eye in the house. It was so, so beautiful. So we're very, very excited to bring some Min Jin Lee wisdom to Race Matters. We'll be talking to her about the current state of America, the Asian American Writers' Workshop, Pachinko, of course, and so much more. Before we do get to that, though, it feels important to acknowledge what's happened over the weekend just gone by in the States. On Saturday, a massacre at a Walmart left at least 20 dead. It took place in El Paso, a Texan city located on the Mexican-US border. The suspected gunman's been found to have published a racist, anti-immigrant document on the dark web beforehand. And yesterday, just 13 hours later, a gunman in Dayton, Ohio, opened a barrage of fire to, killing at least nine and injuring many others. This marks the 31st deadly mass shooting in America this year. And it's kind of crazy how desensitized we've become to these shootings that keep happening in the States. But it's impossible to ignore that they're symptomatic of not only a lack of gun control, but kind of the cost that comes with state-sanctioned white supremacy. Senior Democrats in the U.S. following these events over the weekend have condemned President Trump as an openly white nationalist and racist leader. And when you look at the state of discourse week in, week out in that country, whether it be attacks on migrants, escalating border security, or how the administrations galvanize their supporters against rising progressive women of color in Congress like Ilan Omar and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, there's an increasing climate of hate and fear-mongering, for sure. But I think we need to remember that the foundations of this climate have been in play a lot longer than Trump's been around. It's easy to feel at a loss, especially 
like me when you're on the other side of the world. But I'd like to take this moment to highlight the Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services Texas as one of the many worthy causes you can contribute to if you have some dollars to spare. We'll pop a link in our program info or you can head to raicestexas.org to find out more and donate. You are tuned in to Race Matters on FBI Radio. My name is Tanya Ali, and right now we're lucky enough to be joined by the woman behind best-selling novels Pachinko and Free Food for Millionaires, Korean-American author Min Jin Lee. Thank you so much for dropping by the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Tanya. At the very beginning of Pachinko, your 2017 novel, you include a quote by Charles Dickens. Home is a name, a word. It is a strong one, stronger than magician ever spoke or spirit answered to in strongest conjuration. What does home mean to you? Oh, home means so many things to me. It's something that I've been obsessed with for a very long time. As a matter of fact, the thing that I find very political about the idea of home is the fact that so many of us don't have it. And so many of us seek it. And even when we have literal homes, we don't feel at home. And that is something that I think about all the time. I want to write about it. Where would you kind of see home for yourself? Well, I think at this point in my life, I wouldn't say home is South Korea nor America. In a way, it's where my family is. And of course, where the things that I care about and the people that I care about. Absolutely. I guess... I wanted to kind of acknowledge how much there is going on in the States right now, politically uh, and socially. Um, I'd love to get your read on the current feeling on the ground in America. Well, I think there are two countries right now in the United States. And I think this is causing great, great, great consternation and heartbreak and disaster because we aren't hearing each other, we're not listening to each other, we're not talking to each other. And very often, I feel I feel really um, disempowered. And it makes me feel angry. And I don't know what to do because people that I really care about are being persecuted. And they are being um, marginalized. And what's really also sad is that there are people that I really care about who can't see that, who won't recognize it. And I'll find that within the same family, like I'll meet people that I really love and care about, not meet them, but just I'll try to meet them where they are. And one of the things that I notice is that they think there are good immigrants and there are bad immigrants, that there are good people of color and bad people of color. And for them, it's very simplistic, those who comply. And if you ever complain, that makes you automatically a bad person of color. And I find that to be without nuance. And if you say that it's without nuance, they get very upset. And again, the conversation stops. And I wonder how much healing there will be. Obviously, the disasters that have happened in the past 36 hours are unspeakable. I can't even imagine what it must be like to have been there. I've been held up by gunpoint when I was younger, when my parents worked in a store. And I remember how terrified I was, what it meant for my parents to have to see me have a gun in my face. And to have to run out of a store, to have to run out of places of worship, to run out of clubs, all those places that we're entitled to be in, um, this is what we have chosen by the legislators that we have. 
I guess where to from here? Like what what do you see? Um, do you see any sort of change? Well, I am really counting on the very young people of America to inspire change because my generation and the generation that precedes it, Gen Xers and I believe boomers have really failed the entire nation. So unless we encourage millennials and Gen I and Gen Z to take action and to really take over Congress to and, and the court system, which is being completely revamped by a very, very um, conservative presidency right now, I don't know how things will change. There is a moment, though, of feeling this sense of despair and a feeling of lament, and yet we do have to take action. So before the presidential election, I think we need to take action for our Senate as well as our congressmen to choose a a district or a state and to try to take it over. And I really encourage the young people to do so. Absolutely. I guess another kind of uh, mode of change is art. Uh, And You've worked quite a bit with the Asian American Writers Workshop, and I feel like, uh, at least from here in Australia, looking at that movement from here, it's so exciting. There seems to be such a great sense of community, uh, and I feel like it's contributing to how thriving Asian American pop culture is at the moment, which we'll get into in a sec. But uh, how does being at events run by the Asian American Writers Workshop feel? Oh, it's really cool just to see all these faces to see young Asian Americans who are who want to be artists, who are afraid at the same time they feel a sense of home and community. And I really encourage it. I've been a member of it for a very, very long time. I used to be a board member. And I even took classes there when I first started writing. So at the Asian American Writers Workshop, I took classes with Jhumpa Lahiri, Lance Samantha Chang, Rana Reiko Rizzuto, people who were not famous at the time, but they were just kind of starting out. And People who are who I took classes with, like Lisa Ko, Ed Lin, there are more, Kathy Park Hong, a wonderful, talented artist, and I feel very proud to have been part of that community. Do you feel like it's, I mean, of course it's changed, but how, how do you feel like it's changed over time? Well, there's more of us. There's more of us, and I think most of us feel like it's possible. Whereas I grew up thinking that my wish to be a writer was pure fantasy, kind of like, oh, that's not going to happen. I mean, I like reading. And even now, I feel like I'm very comfortable being a reader. But to say that you're a writer, to say that you're a fiction writer, that seemed like saying I want to go to the moon. So the fact that I see all these young people kind of saying, well, what's your agent's name? And where do I go? And what's the conference? And I kind of think their sense of entitlement and audacity, I love it. I am so glad they feel this way because it's horrible to think that you can't do something. You have to try. I mean, you have to hit really, really big targets. And I think it's wonderful. I mean, and there's so many people killing it all across art. Um, I feel like, yeah, there's just this wave of incredible Asian American art coming out across uh, film, like films like Always Be My Maybe uh, or music by so many artists, but to name a few, Mitski, Yeji, Japanese Breakfast, and then of course there's work by authors like yourself and Ocean Vuong and Celeste Ng and so many others. Uh, What do you think it is about the current climate that's providing this kind of fertile ground for all of these voices to be heard? Well, if there are six plus billion people on this planet, actually the overwhelming majority are Asians. The fact that Asians are not considered 
artists, it's bizarre. Like we have to think like how long did it take for people to realize that there are artists within this community, there are great artists within this community. And I think that if you think about how in the West, Asians were not seen as artists, I want to say that was an intentional act. I want to say that it was absolutely a decision that people have made in publishing and in Hollywood. And that decision has now to be overturned. I remember when I published Free Food for Millionaires in 2007, several people were interested in making it into either a film or a TV show or something. And I had a very, very famous person go to Hollywood, try to make this happen. And they said, no, Asians need not apply. That was 2007. And then recently, of course, Pachinko, and now there's like a huge wish to find more IP, intellectual property. But I keep thinking, it's the same book. The fact that I have offers now for that book in 2007 has a lot to do with the fact that people are starting to think, oh, maybe Asians are interested in watching these things. But actually, in my experience, I think everybody's interested in news stories. Everybody. Absolutely. And you can see that with the success, not only in Asian communities of all of those people that I named, but across the board, like Mm -hmm. globally. Um, We are going to go to a track right now that you've programmed for us. Uh, Before we do, could you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. The song is called Quiet by an artist named Milk, M-I-L-C-K. And Milk is the um, musical name for an artist based in L.A., a Chinese-American woman named Connie Lim, L-I-M. And this song is really quite beautiful, and it's all about speaking out. Put on your face Know your place Shut up and smile Don't spread your legs I could do that But no one knows me Okay. 
You're tuned in to Race Matters. My name is Tanya Ali and you're on FBI Radio. Right now we are joined by very special guest Min Jin Lee, Korean American author of Pachinko and Free Food for Millionaires. Min, in my research, I've been interested to learn that growing up, you didn't feel like you were much of a talker. And I think it's blown my mind in so many ways because I feel like I've really dived deep into your lectures um, over the past few years. And last year, I was absolutely blown away by your opening address at Sydney Writers Festival. Thank you. You have such a beautiful and easy to follow way of articulating things that are really complex. Um, How has your relationship with public speaking changed over time? Oh, well, I didn't really talk until almost middle school interpersonally. So in school, I was mute almost. At home, I spoke. And I came to the United States in 1976. I didn't speak English, but it wasn't a matter of not speaking English. I think I had learning issues. And I really had social anxiety. I did not understand my peers. And I had, um, it felt really traumatic. That said, I really wanted to talk. And I really wanted people to think that I wasn't dumb. So it was really quite simple. Like, I didn't want people to think I was dumb. So I thought, well, what do I, what can I say? How much can I say in order for people not to think I'm dumb? So I took a lot of classes. I took a ton of public speaking classes. I practiced all the time. I would give myself scripts and learn how to recite them. And then eventually, oh golly, it took me such a long time, but now I've given lectures in front of thousands of people. But even then, I always think whenever someone gives you that space to speak, you should say things that have meaning, purpose. It should not be self-aggrandizing. That's not interesting at all. (laughs) And I think it should be precise. That's very important. Absolutely. Yeah, it is such a privilege to, I guess, have a voice at at whatever time, in whatever way. Um, You've spoken in the past about how in Pachinko you made an active choice to use Korean words within the prose. Uh, And there are so many untranslatable terms in every language. Um, And then I feel like that speaks to how intertwined the relationship between language and culture always is. How do you feel like language informs your identity? Oh, words are everything to me. Even if I couldn't speak them in my mind, they encapsulated so many feelings. I think I've always had words before feelings. I don't think I knew how I felt and what I should feel. Even now, there are times when I feel very uncomfortable with my feelings. And I understand why people struggle with addiction. I do, because I think feeling can be so painful. Especially life has so many difficult things that we couldn't anticipate. Even the past 36 hours, I was thinking about how it's unspeakable. It's almost inconceivable to me that of how many people have been lost and for completely senseless reasons. So how do we put into words these feelings? And also, what do we do if we don't feel these feelings? Because they must be felt. And I think that to answer your question about words, words give us a it's a beginning of feeling, and it's a beginning of overcoming the feeling that can be very, very hard to manage. Because I don't think all feelings are true. That's the interesting thing about feelings. Not all feelings are true. So sometimes you can feel self-hatred. 
that is not a true feeling. It's not a good feeling. It's not even a logical feeling. You could test that idea against reality, and it shouldn't be true. So a very simple thing, like you can ask your friend, do these jeans make me look fat? Because <laughs> you might feel fat. <laughs> so you feel fat, but then your friend says, no, you're like, you're not fat at all. You're actually quite beautiful, and those jeans look amazing on you. So you're testing that reality, that feeling. So I'm giving a silly example, but that kind of example actually takes over the minds of so many young women. So that's the reason why I bring it up. So you can have feelings. So to not have words, to not have language is so disempowering. Absolutely. Uh, Pachinko is one of, if not the, I'm not sure, uh, first English language novels to delve into the experience of Korean diaspora in Japan. Why do you think there is so little literature about this? I thought when I was writing it, it's because nobody cared. And as a matter of fact, when I was writing, I thought to myself, well, no one's going to read this. And I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm such a smart person because I'm writing this book and it's going to change the world. I never thought that. I kind of thought, well, I'm sort of obsessed with this idea. I don't know why. It means a lot to me. It makes me upset that this community has been so mistreated. So I thought I'll finish the book whenever because it took me so long. And then afterwards, I thought maybe, you know, 50 people would read it. So the fact that people have read it, it's absolutely mind-blowing to me. So many people have read it and so many people have loved it. Um, In a lecture last year, it really struck a chord with me when you said, I've always felt like a minor character, so I feel comfortable writing them. Um, And that was in the context of you explaining how you feel history has failed ordinary people around the world. Could you speak a little bit more on this? I feel like it's such an interesting kind of idea. Oh, I've always felt like a minor character. I feel like a minor character still. And actually, I like it. I like being a minor character. To be a major character means that you have great responsibilities. <laughs> so sometimes like, I think, oh, I, I don't mind being invisible because, and it's interesting now, I don't mind being invisible because sometimes I know how to, how to make myself visible. The ability to render yourself visible or invisible, to turn off that switch, is actually quite powerful. And It's horrible if you can't do that. If you have to be rendered invisible always, that's not a good thing. So I don't recommend that. However, being a minor character, it allows me to have quiet and the ability to perceive and to observe people. And that's really lovely for me because I do like people. Sometimes I feel really shy. I can't interact with everybody, but I do love people very much. That sounds so silly, but I do. Like when I'm on the subway, for example, like I really, I can, see how people are suffering or how people feel joy. Like when you see two girls and they're shrieking out of happiness about something on the train, I just think, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and you you kind of want to participate in it, but I don't have to. I love the little bubble they have around their happiness. Yeah, those very, like the human moments that you just observe, I guess, being a, a minor part. character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you're reading at the moment or consuming in other ways that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Oh, actually, for this audience in particular, there's a wonderful book that just came out called Racial Melancholia, Racial Dissociation by David Eng and Shen He Han. And it's really about the distinction between Generation X and the millennials of how we experience being Asian in the world. 
And it's an amazing book. It's so important. I hope that lots of people read it. Wow, yeah, it sounds incredible. We'll definitely pop a link to it in Great. our program page as well. That is Min Jin Lee, and you're tuned in to Race Matters. Min, unfortunately, we are running out of time. But before we go every week, we ask our guests this question. When did you realize that there was power in your race? I think I realized there was power in my race when I started to write about it when I was in high school. And I thought that what I had in my race, in my ethnicity, in my culture, in my faith, was actually quite valuable. These are my riches. Min Jin Lee's books, Pachinko and Free Food for Millionaires, are available at all good bookstores, and we couldn't recommend them enough. We're actually going to go out on a track that you quoted at the end of your opening address at Sydney Writers' Festival last year. And to be honest, I haven't heard that song in the same way since. (laughs) What made you include the lyrics of Diamonds by Rihanna, if you can remember? Oh, you know, I do remember because I remember thinking that the tall poppy syndrome is so punitive. It's so punitive because it's like the opposite of seeing the glory in people. And I thought that song, Diamonds, really is exactly the opposite of the tall poppy syndrome. I have no wish to cut people down. Not at all. I want to see your brilliance. Shine bright like a diamond. Shine bright like a diamond.
like a diamond Shine bright like a diamond Shine bright like a diamond So shine Race matters. 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 Race matters.